Thanks, John. Good morning. I'm going to let you uh, start to search for uh, John 4, John chapter 4 in your Bibles. We're going to continue on in our uh, series here. So when we left off, Jesus has revealed that he is the Messiah to all people. He chooses to share this with a Samaritan woman. What happens? The Samaritans. The Samaritans of all people start accepting him as the Messiah. They show great faith, believing the woman, even before they have seen Jesus himself. The disciples have grown in their faith and have a better understanding of who Jesus is. Now, Jesus is coming home. How wonderful. What a, what a great time to be around your people. Let's look at John 4, verses 43 to 54. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Okay, we're going to come back to that one. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray together as we dig into this. Lord, we, uh, we come before you today. Lord, I... I um, I just pray over this time together, Lord, that we can, uh, we can clearly understand um, what you're wanting us to hear here, Lord. Uh, there, there's, some, there's some confusing things here, Lord, and I, I want to just pray that we can work through them and be clear um, and just be open to, uh, to your spirit here, Lord. So I pray that as we continue in your name. Okay, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I, I really, especially at times when Jesus is is teaching and 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 we're learning things, I I uh, I kind of wish I was there. Uh, this is one of those times. I, I, imagine being John and and seeing all the things that are going on and being in Jerusalem and and Christ is doing all of these things and he's teaching clearly and 
And now we're going home, okay? We're going home. Why? All right, let's go home. But, but he recalls what Jesus has said here. So I, I just, I'd love to be Zacchaeus up in a tree, or I'd love to be just there seeing what's happening, being, being in it. Um, so Jesus is going to go home, expecting that he's going to be rejected. Okay, he foreshadows this in his word. We see it in Luke, Matthew, and John. They all include this. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So because of that, Jesus comes home. See, that word for Jesus himself, you can, you can take that out and you can actually add in because. So it really reads... So he came again, or after the two days he departed for Galilee because Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So what is this? Is this, is this bravery? Is this part of the plan? Why does he come home now? Jesus expected a rejection. This is really part of the divine plan. Right? He knows that one of these times that he comes back, his own people are going to turn on him. So because a prophet has no honor in his hometown, he comes home. But we still haven't really answered the question, why? Or why now? And then we continue to read, and he's, he's received, right? It says, the Galileans welcomed him. But not really. They welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. This was likely the Passover feast, and many of them would have gone to Jerusalem for it. But this is kind of, it's the Galileans having a new and higher adoration for Christ, that Jesus had made a great impression, even in Jerusalem with his signs. It was their countrymen who had purified the temple. It, and filled the holy city with wonder. This is, this is local boy done good, right? Gone to the big city and done good. So we're, we're in, right? But the acceptance of him is in a way a rejection because it's, it's based on the signs and wonders. It was an honor of sort, but not the honor that was due. It was misplaced glory. So let's talk about glory a little bit. What is it? Uh, dictionary defines glory as high renown or honor won by notable achievements. Okay, so let's talk about misplaced glory. I've got a picture for you. All right. This is Andre Agassi. Okay. First time I saw Andre Agassi play was 1990, 1988. He was playing Jimmy Connors. It was the U.S. Open. He looked like this. He had these cut-off jean shorts, this long mane of hair. And he hit the ball as hard as he could every shot. There was no finesse to this guy's game. It was just pound the ball as hard as he possibly could. America fell in love. A young, 
teenager thought this guy was pretty cool. And then this came about. This became Andre Agassi as he continued to gain popularity and acceptance. I may have had a poster on my wall. <laughs> I may have had a pair of those shorts. And I definitely thought that they helped me hit the ball harder. Image is everything. That's what Andre Agassi became. He was a walking endorsement. He made more money than anyone else on the tour, not because he was winning a lot of tournaments, because he looked like this. It was different. It was flashy. It was exciting. People fell in love. Now I'm going to give you Agassi's version of the story, mainly because it suits my purposes better. But this is his version of it. He wanted to be known as, a great, as one of the great tennis players. Not for shorts, not for the hair, not for the celebrity marriage, not for the hard-hitting style. He, he's a human being. He liked those things. He liked the money, obviously. But his feeling was he wanted to be known as a great tennis player. All of these things were exciting aspects, but they all stood in the way of him achieving his goal of being considered one of the best players. As of 1994, Agassi had one Grand Slam title, and many thought that it was a fluke. So the, the Grand Slams are the Australian Open, the French Open, the U.S. Open, and Wimbledon. And if you're not winning those, you aren't really one of the best players. You, you can win other tournaments. That's great, and you're good. You've got to win the Grand Slams. And he had won one as of 1994. He had glory. He was popular. But it wasn't for the reasons that would make him anything more than a flash in the pan. So 1994, he starts to make some changes. He has a new coach. He won two more Grand Slams. He was taking tennis more seriously. But there were still aspects of his image that were remaining. He had some injuries, had a couple years away from the game. He came back in 1998 looking like this. No color. It was white, maybe black at times. Um, no, no hair. <laughs> Just tennis. All tennis. He climbed from 110th in the world to number six. He went on to take the number one ranking from Pete Sampras for the first time in six years. And he became only the fifth player in history to win all of the Grand Slam titles, all four of them. So a lot of people, myself included, got caught up in the hype of the Agassi glory. But they weren't focusing on the right things. It wasn't real glory to Andre. So he went about trying to change that. Now, you can take him off. We can, we can talk about misplaced glory all day when we talk about Andre Agassi. I mean, the, the, the man chased a tennis ball for a living. You have dogs who do that faster than he does. 
So let's, let's talk about someone who deserves glory for something with a little more value, like maybe saving the lives of mankind for eternity. Okay? Standing in the face of Christ's glory. Okay? Christ didn't feel glorified by his people. He felt rejected. Their glory was misplaced. Christ felt that they were focused on the miracles. And we love miracles, don't we? When the impossible happens, it gets us excited. It justifies our dreams. Sometimes it reconciles our laziness. We have a desire for extraordinary fortune with as little effort as possible. Desire for the unexplainable just for the experience. Desire for extraordinary success or fruits of our labor without putting in the work to foster it. Here's a good one. Extraordinary justice for those who've wronged us or even violent assistance to get rid of problem people in our lives. Yeah, we can be sinful people at times. Jesus himself allowed for the natural journey from faith in miracles to faith in the word. We see in John 10, verse 38, Christ says, but, but if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. John 14:11 says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else on account of the works themselves. See, Christ, therefore, isn't, he doesn't necessarily take issue with the faith in miracles in itself, but it's the cravings for those, the craving for those miracles. Sometimes we get so fascinated by the signs that we miss the purpose for those signs. One commentary that I read by Tom Wright pointed out that it's like a city putting up new signs, new traffic signs to guide traffic through the city and having people stop at intersections and getting out of their cars at intersections to admire the signs. See, John 4 starts, verses 1 to 15 show that Jesus is the Christ. Eternal life comes through him. Verses 16 to 26 show us that Jesus is the Christ and true worship comes through him. Verses 27 to 42 show us that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jews and Samaritans alike in true worship together. These verses is, is kind of like Jesus saying, coming back to his people and saying, no, 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 it's okay, I am your Savior. But not like this. He's there for a purpose. Is it to dazzle people with amazing miracles? Luke 19:10 tells us that he came back to seek and save the lost. That was the glory that Jesus was wanting to receive from his people as their savior, not as a miracle worker. So why did he come back now? His people were lacking in deep trustful attachment required for faith. So as we've seen, Jesus accepted people who believed only because of miracles, but it's not the highest kind of faith. 
So this man comes and confronts Jesus, standing in the face of Christ's grace. The man comes and asks Jesus to heal his son. This requires faith. Jesus offers the man a word of reproof. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This is kind of similar to what we see in John 20, 29 with Thomas. Right? He gives Thomas a, a gentle rebuke. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. But this time with this man, this is for the whole crowd. That word, unless ye believe, unless you see signs, is, is a plural word. It's for everyone. So what we see here is Christ is coming with a bit of an agenda. Right? We, we do that. We, sometimes there's a, just a teachable moment that has to happen. We, and we see Christ do this here. He's looking to address the lack of true faith. I, uh, part of my job here at times is to problem solve and to find solutions to, to issues and, and make sure that things are operating properly here and, and, and everybody's on the same page. And, and that requires sometimes going to people and, and talking to them and asking questions and, and figuring out what's going on. And uh, I, I know sometimes I'll come into a room and, and I can see the, the, the staff person knows I'm, I'm, I'm coming with an agenda. I've got, I've got something I'm looking for. I'm asking questions and they, they know I'm looking, to, I'm looking to deal with something, right? The trick is that I have to come into their office and sometimes without an agenda, so I keep them off base, right? But, but we do that sometimes, right? So Christ comes in. He's got an agenda. This is an opportunity. He opens this up to everyone. But the man doesn't flinch. He then pleads with Christ to come before his son dies. So the man shows some resolve here. He, shows, he, he knows that Christ can heal, and he isn't deterred by Christ's words. So you've likely heard the term, thou dost protest much, right? We do this with our kids sometimes. When we think they might be lying, we start asking questions, and, and sometimes it's the response that, that tells us if we're hot or cold, right? No, 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 I was, no, I was doing this. Okay, you start to, you start to see, okay, yeah, there's something here, right? So here's a, a bit of a, bit of a kickback on this, this man, right? Unless you believe, or unless you see signs, you won't believe. So what's his motive here? Is he just wanting something from the miracle man? Is he going to get offended or try to cover up the truth about his intentions? But he doesn't. His request is genuine. So verse 49, we see, Sir, come down before my child dies. Basically, this guy is saying, look, while we're chit-chatting, my son is dying here if you don't come instantly. This was faith. Right? Partial faith. And our Lord would per perfect it. Okay? So the man can't believe that his child could live without the healer coming and touching the patient. It seems like he, it didn't even occur to him. And we see a contrast here. 
in Matthew 8, 5, we, we see the centurion come before Christ. And he told Jesus not to come to his house because Jesus could heal just with his words. Right? So we see a difference here between these two. It shows us the difference between people and how we approach faith. Christ is gracious with the man. He understands the faith that is there and the faith that is lacking, and he meets him there. He understands the man has come out of desperation. This is faith in crisis. Jesus is gracious. He gives the man a stiff test. There's no sign here. Just his word. Go, your son will live. The man rises to the implied demand for deeper faith. Jesus has asked a little more, and the man has responded. In that moment, he hasn't given him what he's asked for, though. There's no sign. There's no proof. But the man goes anyway. Let's pause and understand the magnificence of Christ here. He truly has control over space and time. Glory be to Jesus Christ. Instantly, the boy is healed from 25 miles away. He has no location, no background, no conduits in the town. On the spot, with a word, from far away, healed. How glorious is this God? You want a sign? Here's a sign. But this is part of Jesus' continuing grace as well. In verse 53, we see that he does reward the man for the little faith he has by providing what he came for. Affirmation that the boy was healed at the very time Christ spoke. We hear about these types of things today as well. People feeling compelled to pray for someone or something And they learn later that while they were praying, something very significant was happening in that other person's life or situation. God is active, and he gives us those pieces of affirmation at times to deepen our faith. Those are the signs, but they are for a purpose. The man had believed before this, though imperfectly. Then he showed confidence in God's word. But now with a faith crowned by sight and the wave of faith rolled from the head of the household to the rest of the members. You don't think that Christ knew what this man was going to require to believe? This was an opportunity for Christ to do what he came to do. This was an opportunity to use an ounce of faith, be it with the right intentions or wrong, to be used to bring about devotion, not just the man's, but his household as well. So why does Christ do this? What did he come to do? To seek and save the lost. The reality is, this boy will die. Maybe not now, but eventually he will. The miracle of healing the boy is temporary. It's gracious. It's a beautiful gesture. 
But it's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to bring everlasting healing, in this case to the family. He healed that boy to offer grace to that family and increase the depth of their faith. Ultimately, this brings glory to God. Upon his death and resurrection, Christ ascended into heaven, where Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says that, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So what do we learn about our faith from this? We're standing in the face of our faith. Godly faith pursues godly truth. We have to be pursuing Christ. Luke 11, 9 and 10 says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. Action. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Action. Hebrews 11:6, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Faith requires action. No action equals no faith. The man came from far away. He could have sent a servant, but he came himself. Seeking often comes out of need. Sometimes it comes out of a heartfelt desire to grow. The basis of biblical faith is in accepting and putting into practice the promises of God. Faith is accepting what God has said in his word. When true faith is present, action will be the result. In other words, faith, if real, will produce action. The Samaritans started to believe based on the word of Christ. The man believed based on the word of Christ. It is the word of Christ that brings life to men. Matthew 4, 4 says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We are saved by grace. Our faith is strengthened. And the pursuit of our eternal God becomes our passion. And we're met by his grace. Godly faith is met with godly grace. For the man, the fact alone didn't satisfy him. The boy was healed. 
Done. But no. He had to know. When did it happen? I have to know that it truly was Jesus. This is who he is. And Christ knows it. The way we come before Christ can be influenced by many things. Our upbringing, our experiences, sometimes manipulation. Sometimes we choose to be a certain way. It can be a protection mechanism. Christ knows. He knows who you are. It's okay. You don't have to be a different or better way to approach God. He meets you where you are. The centurion, he didn't want Christ to come to his house because he didn't feel worthy. This guy, this man, called Christ to his house unashamedly. Is one better than the other? Suppose the centurion shows a stronger faith believing that Christ can heal from afar. But maybe that's just because of his posture of humility. I don't know. Christ knew. The fact is that they're coming from different worlds, different statuses, but they both came and they both received the grace of Jesus. See, the danger is that sometimes we think we can just get on the bandwagon and be along for the ride. Well, that's just not who I am. It is not enough to excuse a heart that isn't pursuing God. Have you heard these arguments? Well, Luke 12, 47, 48 tells me that the more I know that I'm aware of, the more I'll be judged. So I'm good knowing what I know. It's enough. Or, well, you know, this was just how things were in my family growing up. It wasn't a big deal. Sorry, it, it just doesn't fly. Grace opens our hearts up wide and shines a light right in there. There's nothing to hide. 1 Samuel 16.7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outwards, outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He's going to ask more from us, more faith from us. That's what a relationship is. I sure hope that my wife Sarah has more faith in me now than she did 16 years ago when we got married. If she doesn't, there's something wrong with our relationship. I see it the same in my relationship with Christ. If I don't have more faith in him now than I did five years ago, 15 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, there's something wrong with our relationship. Just as Christ healed this family, his grace is sufficient to heal you and me. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. There's a plan. It's God's plan. It's for his glory. Each of us is here today for God's glory. Godly faith leads to godly glory. We may think we're in control. We're not. Free will? Absolutely. Control? No. Proverbs 19.21 tells us, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. The man came and asked Christ to come to his house. Christ challenged his faith. The man stood firm. And Christ asked a little more from him. Go, your son will live. No sign, no evidence, no guarantee. The man went on his word and his faith was deepened. This was a man of status, likely from Herod's court. Christ's word, he turns around, goes home. Out of his humility before Christ, he left stronger than when he came. And out of it, his family was saved eternally. God's grace for God's plan. The word of Jesus holds good for us in every conflict and every trial. But there will be times that our faith is challenged. In fact, it has to be for us to grow. For this man, it was distress that brought him to Jesus. It was Christ's will that the boy be healed for the glory of God the Father. Sometimes God's will does not reap the reward that we long for. What happens when we don't get the answer we think we want? Is our faith prepared to withstand disappointment? Is our faith based on God's will or our own? For you farmers out there, what will your faith look like if it all goes away? For your builders, your builders, people who work with your hands, What will your faith look like if your body shuts down? Moms and dads, what will your faith look like if your child hates you? Or if you lose one before you should? We're in a fallen world. Sin and pain and hurt have made this a pretty miserable place at times. Thank you, Jesus, that it is temporary. Thank you, Jesus, for redeeming us to allow for an eternity in heaven for those who accept his gift. Because if my hope relied on finding happiness here on earth, then I'm afraid I'd be a pretty hopeless man. 
I'm going to tell you a bit of my story. Please don't hear this as a story of me having things figured out. I don't. I really don't. But I've learned much over the last 11 years. And I'm still learning. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. Um, Sarah and I are always willing to share our journey with you individually, but for about the last 11 years or so, I can't keep my emotions in check. I cry at a lot of goofy things, but I definitely cry uh, when I talk about this. You may know Isaac. Isaac is my oldest might see him rolling around in his wheelchair in the halls. He might even greet you at the door some Sundays. Uh, Isaac has cerebral palsy. Um, he came at 26 weeks in our pregnancy. And we had prayed. Our life group had prayed. Our family had prayed. This is, this is our first child. Right? We had all prayed for a healthy child. And we didn't get the answer we were looking for. The day Isaac came, our lives changed forever. He was two pounds, two ounces, frail. Sarah's body was continuing to run at a blood pressure that was alarming. Her kidneys and liver were shutting down, and she was being kept in closed quarters with visitors not allowed. It took two weeks for her body to regulate. When Isaac came home at se after 70 days in neonatal, he was a handful to care for. We went for about a year dealing with a monster in our home, quite frankly. How our marriage survived is the grace of Jesus. You see, Sarah and I come from very different backgrounds, and we deal with things in very different ways. I was blessed with being raised in a beautiful Christian home, and I built a faith in Jesus that was very solid. Sarah was raised in a broken home and came to know Christ as a teenager, still with a strong faith. I process things quite methodically. I'm not prone to overexcitement or significant lows. Sarah is, well, different. She's more expressive. She's more quick to decide her response to things. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. So Sarah and I dealt with this blow to our faith very differently. Neither of us was happy about it. For many years, both of us would have desired for things to be reversed. Sarah was very angry at God. She was angry that Isaac would have to grow up with the challenges he will. She was angry at the change in our li life as a couple. And she was angry that God would allow such a terrible thing to happen to a family that loves him greatly. For me, I was a husband and father who was going back and forth from NICU to Sarah's room, praying that I not lose one of them, let alone both. I was so thankful to God for bringing them through a very harrowing time. My struggle was that I was having to come to grips with the fact that I had shown a lack of honor to the glory of God. I was pretty sure that I could talk or think my way. 
out of most things. I was a provider for my wife, and I felt a lot of pride in that. I felt comfortable with where my faith was and didn't worry much about it. Sorry, I told Matt I was going to cry just to make him feel better for crying every once in a while. Here I was, about to possibly lose my wife and my firstborn son, and there was nothing I could do about it. I was powerless. God was sovereign. That was very clear to me in that moment. For Sarah, she carried this bitterness toward God with her in loneliness. I couldn't relate to how she was feeling, and I couldn't take it away. We were trying to lean into each other, but there was a distance because we weren't seeing things the same way. Sarah was getting a good dose of God's grace as she went to battle with him over her feelings. She can tell you more about the showdown she had with God. Eventually, it was our differences and the grace of Christ in our marriage that allowed Sarah to reconcile with God and for me to challenge the questions of my faith more deeply. Sarah's battle with God has deepened her faith in him so much more. She had faith in God, but he asked her for a lot more, and she has experienced such an amazing freedom in her faith. I've come to see such a richness in her relationship with God. and a willingness to be pursuing his will. She sees the road signs more clearly now and looks for the purpose, excuse me, the purpose beyond them. The humility I had to embrace in my relationship with God has helped me grow deeper in my faith. Christ took my ounce of faith and asked me for more. And now I understand the glory of, of God so much more richly. And I want to offer myself up to him with more anticipation and willingness to be used for his glory. Sarah and I will both very honestly tell you that we know Isaac is exactly the way he's supposed to be. We're both very disappointed that Isaac will have so many struggles in his life. But we also agree that we wouldn't change Isaac if we could. The Lord has used Isaac to impact our lives so significantly that we could see what an impact our son can have on this world if he's committed to put his faith in God. Christ chose not to heal our little boy to provide grace to our family. And to increase the depth of our faith in him.
thank goodness it's his plan for his glory and not ours. All right. I've got to put my Agassiz shorts on and finish this strong. Here's what I've learned. Faith requires active commitment to fully receive the grace of Jesus and pursue his will for our lives. It doesn't matter what the reason, just pursue. Follow the signs. They're everywhere. What if that man hadn't come to see Jesus? Was he going to let his son die? No. So are we pursuing Jesus with the same passion? Whether in crisis or not? Are we recognizing the signs and looking for the purpose? Are we willing to hear his word and believe? Are we willing to accept that God's grace is sufficient even in the most difficult moments and that he can redeem even the most hopeless of situations? Whoever we are, whatever our path, However we got here, we are created beautifully, wonderfully, for the glory of God the Father, our Creator. I repeat Ephesians 2, 8-10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this challenge, Lord. I thank you that wherever we are on our journey with you, whatever our relationship looks like, Lord, that we can come before you, that we can pursue you, that your grace meets us where we are, Lord. I thank you that you desire relationship with us, that you desire a little more faith from us. Lord, and I thank you that you're patient. Lord, as we go this week, I pray that we seek you. Whether things are tough, whether they're difficult, whether there's crisis, or whether you, the blessings are just flowing, things are great, Lord, I pray that we seek you. Thank you, Lord, that you are God, that it's your plan and not ours.